Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. And I must tell you, on a personal level, this is pretty exciting today because this is another one of those milestones. As of today, I have been doing this Born to Talk radio show first in the studio, now as a podcaster, for five and a half years, once a week. It has been a privilege and an honor and a personal growth for me as I've done this each week. Um, And so I'd like to tell you about my guest today. My guest today is Michael Levy. Michael is an author. He's a philosopher. He's a poet. And just as a side note, he gives that Dozekis guy a run for his money, because I would say he is one of the more interesting men I've talked to. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you for inviting me back. My pleasure. How are you today? I'm on top of the world, feeling great. Ah, terrific. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear that. I feel the same way. So maybe our energy between Los Angeles and, and California and you in Florida will just be in the universe out there and will everybody to enjoy. For those people that missed our first show this past March, it was just March that you were with me. We were talking about one of your books at that point. I thought you could just tell our audience that may have missed that show or may, don't remember, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, great. I was born in Manchester. You can tell I've got an English accent. I was born just towards the end of the Second World War. I grew up in a corner row house, no running hot water, outside toilet, and lived in that palace for 19 years. We had little to no money, but I didn't understand what poor meant, so we weren't poor. And I'd never met anybody who was privilege because everybody was the same so I didn't know what privilege meant I lived what I would say a joyful life without any encumbrance with any of the things that we have today I left school at 16 started my own business at 19 with what is equivalent to $150 today selling cloth remnants on the street markets when I left school at 16 I told the teacher I'd have a Rolls Royce at 26 And I made that at 28. It turned into a wholesale corporation, also commercial property and stock market, which I still kind of dabble with. And I retired at 46 from England, came over to Florida and wondered why. And for six years, I tried to figure out why me? Why did I live this type of life? And after six years, I woke up one morning and started to scribble it down. And now I've written 17 books. The website, pointoflife.com, is my website. It's a new website. It's just been renewed. And that's my story so far. Well, I told everybody they're in for a treat today. And I love 
your website. I have it up in front of me as we're speaking. I love the title of your website, and I love what it stands for. Uh, so let me ask you something. You know, when I mean I came, I had to come up with the website myself. I had to figure out what my website was going to be. So how did you come up with the name Point of Life? Well, the reason was everybody used to say to me when I was growing up, what's the point of this or what's the point of that? And there was a comedian in England called Kenneth Williams. Americans wouldn't have heard of him, but British people will. And it was in a series called the Carry On series. It was a very funny movies that they did. And he died very young, about 49. He committed suicide. And on his epitaph, it said, what is the point? And I thought, well, what is the point of life? And then once I started to write, and then I had to come up with a name for a website, I called it Point of Life, because my books are all about giving people the points of life that we need to live on a daily basis. Because if it's not livable, if it's not practical, then for me, a philosophy is no good if it's just theory. It has to be with finance, with your business, with your investments, more importantly, again, with your health, with your nutrition, with your wellness, maintaining it throughout your life without having to... um, have be at the mercy of medications and most of all and the main ingredient is to be happy throughout your existence on earth and remember i said the word happy i'll reiterate that later and find out what we meant by health wealth and happiness oh i love that oh it's a cliffhanger and that's and that's really interesting and you know we all come into this world in our own ways and, you know, I remember there was a song, I'm sure you're familiar with it, that came out a long time ago, What's It All About, Alfie? Um, it's kind of the same idea. What's the point? And do you know your purpose? And do you understand it? And and the way you got to it's very interesting, and I think that's what makes you such an interesting person. I, I really, I, I do find you um, very interesting uh, when you say that you're a philosopher, I guess define the philosopher. I'd be curious to know how you would define um, when you talked about a point of life. Tell me, tell me your philosophy. If you can, I don't know if you can sum that up or not. Frankly, yeah. Well, I use the word philosophy, but basically, there's lots of labels you can use to describe mm-hmm. yourself, and each label will describe a role play. So a philosophy actually is delving into those roles that we're playing on a daily basis, whether we're working um, in a factory or whether the boss of that factory or whether we become a, uh, a student at university, whether we turn into a doctor or a lawyer, whether we become a politician, whether we become a religious leader. Each one of those takes a role. And within those roles, there has to be some type of philosophy that person's going to be living. And now it can turn into a belief system, and it can turn into a a perception, an idea, a thought, or a suggestion of what people live. And that P-I-T-S actually spells out the pits. So a lot of people live these roles in the pits. They're not living 
in a joyful state of mind. Now, I remember a few minutes ago I mentioned happiness. Well, mm-hmm. happiness is a physical. It relies on things. It relies on relationships. However, joy and joyfulness is an identity. And it has a partner. And that partner is called love. So when love and joy elope together and they become married, then that becomes the identity of that person from the moment they're born till the moment they leave earth. And it was their identity before they were born and it'll be the identity after they leave earth. So it's an eternal identity. And once we understand the philosophy of what that means in a practical way, without going too deep or going over people's heads, Mm -hmm. then we live it on earth on a moment-to-moment basis, and then we're not susceptible to all the stuff that's going on around us, whether it be a COVID virus, whether it be a political election, whether it be a hurricane or wildfires, all these things are going to happen, and the circumstances that are around us, and for sure it can distract us. And if we are distracted by it and it takes the joy away then it replaces with something else and the something else it replaces with eliminates that joy and the role plays that we're playing become more profound they carry with them emotions of stress of anxiety which is fed by fear anger jealousy hatred, and all those things come into play in the role plays that we're playing with our personality. However, if we backtrack back to that joy, and we're living that as our identity, then all that stuff can never penetrate us. It's there. We live through it, and we play the roles out the same. Mm -hmm. We're no different. We're still going to play those roles. However, we're playing it from a central point of eternity a central point of infinity. And within that central part of our true being, Eureka, we're in Nirvana every moment that we're on Earth. Nothing can take it away. And there's ways of reverting back to that point, no matter how old we are, no matter how far we've gone down the route of those personalities, those ego identities, that intellectual way of thinking, that education, that knowledge, all that is what we learn. However, we're born with intelligence, and that intelligence contains wisdom. So the intelligence and wisdom are the partners of the love and joy. That's the fuel love and joy uses to express it. It's what's speaking through me now. It's vibrating through my voice, and it's coming up with stuff that I've never spoke before in the same way. I never spoke what I'm saying now in the same way, you can listen to other interviews I've had. You won't hear that what I've said today at this moment in the mm-hmm. same way. So it's expressed slightly different. When I come on the show, I don't know what I'm going to say. I come on with a totally empty mind. Whatever questions are going to be asked, then I allow the part of me that's real to answer them. Also, I've had some form of an education and some memories and experiences And that has to be incorporated in it to make it practical. And it's got to be on a practical basis. So some of the things I say might seem far-fetched 
an outer reach, but they're within our grasp. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something that you said just a few moments ago, because maybe there are people listening right now that are dutifully writing some notes about some of your points of life. And you mentioned pits, and you hear that term like, oh, man, she's really in the pits, meaning she's down, she's unhappy, he's down, he's unhappy. But those letters each stand for something. And I was wondering if you could just once again say, what does the P stand for? It's perception, ideas, thoughts, and suggestions. Now, we have a perception of life. We have a perception of our own life and of what we think we are. And we have a perception of all the people that we meet. It could be an, a politician of our party or another party. It can be a religious belief. And that's a perception of what we've learned. And then an idea comes into our head about that. And a suggestion within that. And it contains thought. So all those things the perception, the idea, the thought, and the suggestion kind of fuel our thinking, kind of fuel us on a day-to-day basis. And most of us have a reference point that we've grown up with. So by the time we've got to seven, we've kind of more or less got our image of who we think we're going to be. And we live those reference points on a day-to-day basis. We refer to what we think we know within that perception. But the perception the thought, the idea, and the suggestion, none of that is actual truth. It could contain truth, but it isn't actual the truth. You see, to have belief, there needs to... To have hope, to have hope in life, people depend on hope. Hope the virus is going to go away. So to have hope, there needs to be a belief. To have a belief, you've got to have some kind of a doubt because you're believing in something, there's some doubt there. But to have no doubt of the truth, you actually have no need for hope or a belief. Because the word belief has got three little letters in the middle, L-I-E. That's why over the millennium, over thousands of years, millions have died because of different belief systems. One belief system wants to eliminate another belief system because it doesn't agree with their God. And that's still going on today in many parts of the world. Mm -hmm. People are living with a belief, with that little L-I-E in the center, and they're actually ignoring the truth. They don't want to know the truth. And unfortunately today, the truth is so far out of reach of most people's lives because they've been hammered into these belief systems or the pits, the perceptions, the ideas, the thoughts and suggestions. And over the past even 20 years since I've been writing, I've seen a massive difference in the way people are responding to actual everyday life, mainly because they've been pressurized by a media that's hell-bent on hell. The media just wants to thrust people with negative news day and night, and people have become habitual. They've got to turn it on first thing in the morning. They have it on while they're eating a meal. What's it doing? It's ruining the digestion while they're eating. Yeah. I mean, it, even with the most healthiest meal in the world, if your mind isn't relaxed while you're actually eating or you're having a conversation and it's heated, your digestion's going to suffer. That is the pits. <laughs> Excellent description. 
So you mentioned that you've written 17 books, which I think is really tremendous. I think you said over a 20-year period. When did you actually write your first book? The first book happened actually after six years of time out. I've read no mm-hmm. books, so they've not come from other books. They've come from no other philosophers. I was sit on the balcony. I live on the ocean. We have beautiful uh, gardens and beautiful surroundings. And at night, the moon is shining on the ocean. The stars are in the sky. And I just got lost in it. And I got lost in this magnificent cosmos and allowed myself to drift into incredible places. And the more incredible these places became, the more enraptured I felt and more developed I became in becoming a whole person. And the more that happened to me, the more I wanted to explore it. And the more I was exploring it, the more it was developing. I said this went on for six years. And at the end of the six years, I didn't really know what to do with what I'd come up with. I'd actually built a bridge between religion and science. And then I went, you know what, I'll get a computer. Because then I'd never had a computer 21 years ago. I didn't want to get involved in high tech at all. But I did. I bought a computer, taught myself how to use it, and did some research, looked at some quotes, what this one said, what that one said, very quickly, because I've got a very fast mind. That's why I never read books, because I can't sit down and read a book. It's just too much for me. I got mm-hmm. a, My mind's far more instant than that. I can watch a movie for a couple of hours, but <laughs> that's enough. So when I've come up with... Uh, with all this stuff, then I said, well, you know what, what I really am going to do with this? And for six months, a dichotomy. And the little side of me was an angel said, why don't you write it down? The other side said, you can't spell, you'll have to go at 16, forget it. And then one morning, I just woke up, started to write, and within three months, I'd written three books. Whoa. Wow, warp speed. My goodness, that's that's pretty that's pretty remarkable. Uh, I'm thinking about that. That's that's really that's really something. Um, we're going to talk about just one of those one of those books um, today because, like you said, you've written a lot of them. And the book that we're going to be talking about, and we've kind of alluded to, is called Cutting Truths: Fifty Enlightening Slices of Life. I, I I love the title of this. I I love what it indicates, and I would just like to know. Maybe I don't know if this is a simple answer, but I'm just curious because I have a curiosity. In fact, one of when you were writing about, um, you know, um, the the pits and the perceptions and the ideas and the thoughts and the suggestions, what occurs to me is. So many of us evolve. I've certainly have evolved just in the last uh, 11 years. I'm not the person I was 11 years by any means. And I've, I had to pivot, as, 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 as the word is today, when my husband died unexpectedly. And, and that's what I did. And, and so my perceptions and thoughts and ideas and suggestions have, have grown. I have... I've taken it to the next dimension, as they say in Star Trek. But I would like to talk about why did you write the specific book, Cutting Truth? What was the inspiration behind that specific book? 
Well, out of all the 17 books I've written, I would say that one, more than any other, really spells out an authentic philosophy for living. There's 50 essays, which include a couple of prose within that 50. And each essay is very, very different. I, um, I can guarantee this than any book that any other human being has ever read before. There's been thousands of books written on philosophies and, and spirituality. Uh, many great authors have been around for the past hundred years. And they all learn the same or similar types of ways that philosophy and actual spirituality work. And it is. There's a certain... We didn't invent it. It's the way the universe conducts itself and spirituality is part of every human being however it's the way it's told there's an old comedian in England he used to, he's an Irishman and he used to tell the most corniest of jokes mm -hmm. he heard them a million times but people used to fall about laughing at him Frank Carson was his name and he would come out at the end of his joke and he'd say it's the way I tell them and I reckon it's the way I write them <laughs> because they're written from a Manchester lad who's had no education, and most books are written by people who've been to university, high intellect. This is the opposite. This is coming really from the ground, from the street. I was a street urchin in Manchester. And how this street urchin could come along with these words, these profound ways of thinking, and each essay has a different effect on the brain. Some... If you're educated and you really want to read it, and not too many intellectual medicated people would bring themselves to read it, but if they did, some of the things would make them squirm. Mm. And that's why it's designed to do. How many books would you want to read that make you want to squirm? But there's one about God being on the phone and saying, I'm going to make some changes. <laughs> there's one called School Day Pranks which is about a man of 100 years of age who's going to talk to his grandchildren and tell him how he used to go on as a nine-year-old kid in school and more or less sums up the way I behaved in school. Not quite to this story. It's, not, it's a kind of a made-up story. But a lot of my stuff, some of it's <laughs> mythology and some of it is real. But it's actually pertaining to many of the experiences I've had. And some, as the book goes on, it goes deeper into more metaphysical ways. And what I'd like to do, actually, this moment, is a good point. I'll just go to one of the shorter prose. This is a very short one. Okay. It will last more than a few minutes. And it's basically, I'll read from it. And All right. It's more or less about living in a sacred space. And how can a young kid from Manchester, growing up without an education, think to yourself, how can you write something like this? I mean, is it feasible you could do this without an education? Alone in a sacred place. In the spirit compass of creation resides the 361 degree of truth. Latitudes of now, longitudes of here. I know not where I am, yet feel warm and secure in soul comfort. Alone in a sacred place, a deep sense of nothingness 
probes deeper and deeper, free of body and mind. I float in unceasing circles of divine bliss. Waves of unfamable joy filled solitude wash over the essence of my being. Mesmerizing images cultivate white love lights of devotion. Inner and outer fields of inspiration encourage tones and filters of magical beauty. This is a mystical wonderland, open all hours within infinity arrays of splendor. And at the bottom of that is a quote, and it says, In life, there is only one demon to master, and it does not live outside our thoughts. Whoa. That's on page 129 of Cutting Truths. You know, that was powerful. And I want to tell you one of the standouts that I heard when you said, open all hours. I like that. If we're going to be our authentic self, and we have to be, and not have to be, I choose to be genuine. I am open all hours. I don't say, well, I'm going to be authentic today, let's see, from 10 o'clock in the morning until 5 o'clock at night, and then I'm going to turn into somebody else and put a mask on my face and suddenly be somebody I'm not. Because in reality, as you said, we're open all hours, and we're living in a sacred place. And that was really tremendous. And you can, I can tell. I can't speak for others. I can tell as you read it, I was picturing yourself writing it. I was picturing you sitting on that balcony. And I was picturing putting into your mind in a mindful setting because you were still and you were feeling. And then you were able to capture it. And I just I want to congratulate you on being able to do that because while you may be very modest and say anybody can do this, I would disagree. Not everybody can take what's up there and take it somewhere else, whether it's the spoken word, whether it's the written word, whether it's just what's in your own heart. You you know, it's funny. Words really matter a lot to me, Michael. And maybe I knew this about you ahead of time, I suspect that I did. I can't imagine. Maybe it just floated in. But every day for the last more than three years on social media, I post what's called the word of the day. The word today is. And then I take that word and I find people that have said something specifically about that word in some form of either an unknown author or somebody that's actually well-known. And today, the first time I've ever done this, my word today was cosmos. And every quote was um, connected to Carl Sagan. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I, I think I'm at a, a very interesting turning point 
in my life right now, and um, I'm open to it. And it's um, a little emotional for me, but that's okay, too, because that's genuine and authentic as well. So um, thank you for sharing those words. Um, I, I do appreciate that. And when you talk about helping the reader find peace and joy and contentment, how do you walk us through how how you would do that? Well, that's why I've written Cutting Truth. It's um, a guide, basically. And what you would do is read one essay a day. That's all. And it's 50. And just the very last one, actually, is the most meaningful one. I'm not even going to mention what that is. But mm-hmm. the way it revolves in a person's mind, and that's, like I said, it's not like anything you've ever read before in spiritual books or philosophy books. It's very, very different and it's going to sometimes make the person uncomfortable, squirm. It make them, some will make it relax, like I just read. It'll put them into a true state of being. But the thing is this. We've actually got to understand what we're not in life. Because before we can live what we are, we've got to understand what we're not. And a lot of the things that we're living in moments of role plays... Well, they're just that. We're not that. It's just like a role player in the movie. That's all we're actually doing. But behind the scenes, there's a director of a movie, there's a producer, there's a scenery that's going on. And all that is in our lives. And within all the direction and the production of being a human being lives the truth and wisdom of who and what we are. And once we're understanding that truth and wisdom... Once we can actually comprehend it in a way that isn't going to be interfered with by what we're not, then we can live what we are. But unfortunately, what we're not, predominantly our ego, our intellect, our education, and our knowledge. And that's what we based our life on. Now, it's important to have all that stuff. You can't lose it. But all that has got to serve a purpose. And if it's not serving a true purpose, then it's used for greed, for avarice, for putting other people down, for annoying other people. And it's intimidating. It's there to intimidate other people. That's what it tries to do. It tries to dominate. But the person who's doing it isn't doing it on purpose. Even the worst person in the world, like even Hitler, didn't do it on purpose. He was programmed to do it by a part of him that wasn't real. It was part of his role play. It was part of what he thought he was living in those pits. And because it was the pits, it brought the pits of a Second World War. Same with the First World War and the belief systems that people had at the time. All the wars and the conflicts that go on today. And even today, the conflicts that go on social media with one person deriding the other person, all because they're living what they're not, not living what they are. And when a person starts to live what they are, it's impossible to hurt any other human being. When you're living what you are, you become kind, you become generous, you have a gratitude for the moments that you're living on earth. 
and you give thanks. You give thanks in a way that's so profound and so real. And it brings to a head what we're not. And once you can conquer it, and that's what cutting truth can do, it can conquer what we're not. But it takes a mindset to be able to do it. Change from the state of mind of stress and move to a state that eliminates stress. It's a different state. If you're living in a house and a place where there's conflicts all the time, and when you can afford to move from it, you would move a district, or you'd move out of a state, or you would retire to a state like Florida or, or California when you finish mm-hmm. working, and move from a colder state. Well, you move physically from a state, but if you take all your baggage with you, and take all the things that you're not with you, you can go on the best vacation in the world, to Bora Bora, to the greatest luxury places, have all the trappings of luxury, be a billionaire. But if you're living what you're not, you're never going to find that truth. You're never going to find that wisdom. And you will never find that content of the moment. And unfortunately, you'll live a life on earth and it'll be a wasted life. And that's the shame of it. And unfortunately, so many will do that. And it gets to the dying breath. And they'll say, why did I worry? Why did they have that anxiety? Here I am in a hospital bed. I'm ready to say goodbye. And it all went by so fast. Now's yeah. a chance. You've got a chance to change it. You know, it's 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 really interesting um, as we're talking, and I'm sure that this happens to other people as they listen to you speak. It conjures up your own thoughts and um, what you are and what you aren't. And people that have been following me that maybe know me personally or just are very aware of me and my website and just about my personal life know that um, my husband of nearly 38 years died unexpectedly and instantly um, in 2009. And it talk about a pivot, right? But what was so interesting about him, we didn't ever really have these philosophical conversations. My husband was an engineer. But I can tell you, he truly lived how he thought. He truly believed that life is what it is. And certainly he had a role in his work and his responsibilities as a professional, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a brother, all of those roles, as a fraternity brother, all of those roles made him who he was, but he was never confused about who he was. And I don't know if that comes just from training from being a logical person, I sit on the more the emotional side of the scale, which would some would say that's probably why your marriage was so successful. You were yin and yang. Um, but it's it's I, I don't talk to many people that have such a profound understanding of life. I can remember listening to a radio show, Michael, many 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 years ago, 
And the, the radio guy said, do you know your purpose? And I thought, I don't know, I'm a mom, I'm driving a carpool to school, and I'm going to go to PTA, and then I'm going to go to Little League. But is that, what is my purpose? And sometimes you're so busy in the what it is you're doing that you don't take that mindful side to do just exactly what you talked about, of those cosmos, of sitting outside, of just staring up into the sky and going, Wow. And just taking a breath and not letting your mind go anywhere but just the greatness and the appreciation of the cosmos, as you mentioned. And I think that's one of the things that makes you so interesting and why book in particular, because I know you've written lots of books. You talked about Well, Well, Well in your last time you were with me. But this particular book is just as important today as it was when you wrote it. And that was 10 years ago, and somebody could buy that right now and go, this must have just come hot off the presses. No, it's just relevant. And I think that there's never been a greater time when this kind of relevance could be more helpful for all of us. Um, I, I We talk about, um, in your book, uh, negative illusions and how they can be, and why why do people think that those illusions are real. Why do you think that people believe that these illusions, these negative emotional beliefs, are actually real? Well, first of all, your your heartfelt feelings with you and your husband are true inspirational for all your listeners. And your husband did have incredible insights. And the role plays that he played, he seems, what you said, played from his center of his being. He understood himself so he could play the roles out as good as you could possibly play them. Right. You've got to play the roles. Whatever we play role we want to play, we've got to play those roles. But when you do it from that central part of your being, people don't forget you. And he's alive in you this moment as he was when you were together physically. He's never actually left you. So that love and that point of where you are, you leave that impression on people. And it's like this book. In a thousand years' time, it'll be just as relevant as it is at this moment in time. So what are these emotions that we talk about, these negative emotions? And why do we think they're real? Well, they do seem real. I mean, in that moment when we think in them, when you've got a fear, whether it be a fear of a snake or a fear of uh, something that's been put into your mind, fear of the virus, that's a real fear, isn't it? You feel fear. So where does that come from? Well, that fear is connected to the identity of what we're not. Now, we think it's connected to what we are. And it's very difficult to break that connection. So it seems as real as it could possibly be. And for people that accept it, it is real. For them that accept it, it's 100% real. And you'll go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and they'll treat that reality because they think it's real too. And they'll treat it with a, maybe with a medication because they go so far with somebody and they can't get any through to them. So they'll give a medication, and all the medication does is dumb down the nervous system. It dumbs down in the, nerve, the, the immune system, and it kind of puts the brain to sleep. That's not 
a recipe for success. That's not a cure, and that's not an answer. You've got to eliminate it. You can't manage stress. I can't manage stress. I'd be a fruitcake if I tried to manage stress. <laughs> From the upbringing I had, and I had a neurotic father, I could have been a total nutcase. Mm-hmm. But uh, something else took over. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was guiding my life and why I was this cheeky young kid who was laughing and joking. If anybody knows me in Manchester, they know I'm telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be kept down. You know, uh, I, I was there at school to make the pe- teachers laugh. And they were there to chastise me and try and teach me something. And basically, what I was trying to do is teach them life. And they ignored it. They ignored life. I was actually their teacher, but I didn't know it. By me being joyful and happy and smiling in the kid, as a kid, I was too enthusiastic. So they said, we'll try and knock this enthusiasm out of him. And they couldn't, because I was living what I was and what <laughs> I am now. I've never changed from that. <laughs> I'm still that same kid. So the emotions that we're living will always dominate us and always be real until we find the avenue, the route, to understand that they aren't real. Now, people go on these spiritual treks. They go on a seminar. They'll read spiritual books. If you're looking for the truth, you're never going to find it. Because the fact that you're looking for it means you haven't got it. And you've got it. You were born with it. If you're looking for a way to eliminate fear, you'll never ever do it. Because you believe you've got fear. So how can you eliminate something that you believe you've got? The truth is, you haven't got it. It's an illusion. But you think you've got it, and you're going to try and find ways to conquer it, or to find ways of getting rid of it. Well, you can't. And the answer is, Stop thinking. Give your mind a rest. Put it onto some level that you know will take you into the realm of being true. And that's where one of my other books come in, which is called Soul Up and Inspirational Poetry. On that one, there's probably 75 poems in that. And with all those poems, that can take you on another journey, which will take you into those realms. So each book will take you into a different realm, into a different way of thought, and can cure, and remember, cure, what is ailing us in the mental state of being. It needs to be cured. It can never, ever be managed. It's impossible to manage it. The more we try and find ways of eliminating something, the more that something is going to come and haunt us. And there's a story I can tell you. It's an old Zen story. Please. And it's about um, a married couple. They've been married for 60 years. And the wife is dying. And she says to her husband, I'm at deathbed. Look, I've been been together 60 years. I'm a very jealous person. I'd hate to go and find that you've married somebody else after I've gone. So I want you to promise me that you're never going to ma- you're never going to marry anybody else or I'll come and haunt you. I'll drive you crazy the rest of your life. So he promises her. Anyway, she passes over. And probably within 
a year or so, he meets another very nice kind lady. They get together, and they decide, you know, good companionship for one another, so they'll marry. The moment they say that, that night is haunted. The ghost comes into his head, and he cannot get rid of it. He can't get a moment's sleep. And this goes on for months and months. And then he finds somebody, somebody tells him there's a, a wise man at the end of the village, and that wise man can help him. So he goes to see the wise man. He says, indeed, you've got a very wise ghost. Knows every single thought in your head. And this is how you get rid of that ghost. Tells him what to do. That night, he puts a bag of beads under the bed. And as he tries to fall asleep and the ghost comes into his mind, he grabs a handful of beads and he shouts out, Tell me how many beads I've got in my hand, ghost. Tell me how many beads I've got here. And with that, the ghost disappears and is never, ever seen again. Mm-hmm. And then he lives his life in peace. And people will say, well, how did that happen? What happened? Well, he realizes the ghost is only attacking him because he knows every single thought that he's thinking about. But once he stops thinking about it and doesn't know something, then the ghost can't affect him anymore. So once we stop thinking about fear and don't know anything about it, how can he be fearful? Because that ghost has disappeared. can no longer attack you. If it's anger, and you anger quickly about something, that's something that annoys you, then... Once you understand that's a ghost and you stop thinking about what is ever annoying you, that ghost disappears, can't come back. And eventually, over time, all those negative emotions will slowly start to disappear and they'll be replaced with that joy, J-O-Y, just obey yourself, your eternal self that lives forever. It'll be replaced with that and then you can go back to your old place the emotions can come in, the negative emotions can come in, and you say, hello, negative emotion, hello, fear, hello, anger. Go and get to somebody who's going to accept you, because I know you're an illusion. I don't need to accept you anymore. Thank you very much for visiting me, though. <laughs> I appreciate your visit, but thank you so much. Ta-ta, the bum, dear. I'll tell you, I... I you're just truly, like I said, that Dosecki's guy. It's just, I just find you so completely fascinating. Um, it, it, it just, I, you know, I, I start, as you know, with a, sort of a list of questions I want to ask you, and, and just like you said, you know, it takes we, it takes its own path. And I think that one of the things that I've learned as someone that's been practicing yoga now for over a year, is that if I can let go of my critical mind, which is what I work on, and if I can just be still and mindful and just let it be, as that song went, as the Beatles sang, hmm. um, and dis- dis- discard what I don't need, imagine how much calmer I am. And I know one thing that happens to me, Michael, and, and I think that you're probably a man that follows some mindfulness practice, and that is those shoulders they start to lower. The breath, it starts to be more fluid. The calmness, you know, I, I it, it sounds like I've lost energy in my voice, which I really haven't. 
I'm still as excited to talk with you now as I was when this show first got started. But what I am feeling from you, what I feel when you speak, is a sense of calm. And I suspect that anyone that reads your books gets that same sense of calm because you write it from a sense of calm. At least that's how I interpret what you say. And so with that in mind, and I know we'll be getting to the end of the show and I could probably speak with you all day, I I am curious about the chatter that goes on up there in my head. You know, the left brain and the right brain are, are constantly speaking to one another and sometimes it's like enough already. So do you think that we choose our thoughts or do the thoughts choose us? Well, that's what people need to find that answer to that. Do Are you, the listener, do you think that your thoughts are what your heart desires? Are your thoughts coming into your head that you're choosing them? And if you're going to say, yes, I can choose my thoughts, then the next question I would ask is, do you worry? And if you say, sure, sure, I've got to worry, everybody worries, then why would you choose to worry if you can control that? Why would you have that choice? So clearly, anybody who worries, has anxiety, isn't actually choosing it. It's coming in of its own volition. It's coming in with its own power base. It's coming in from the ghosts of the memory banks. And all those ghosts, have no mercy. Hmm. They don't care one damn for you. Otherwise, they wouldn't haunt you. They don't care one iota whether it sends you into a madhouse, whether it ruins your health and puts you in an early grave. That's all they've been sent there for. Do you want to give in to that bully? Or do you want to start saying, enough already, a new CD? I've heard that music being played over and over and over again. So let's put another CD on and let's wake up and say in the morning, oh, what a beautiful morning. I've been put on earth to enjoy this gift that God's given me. Let me enjoy every moment of it. And the way we can start to understand it and the way we can start to eliminate it is to start saying, Where are my thoughts coming from? Is it coming from God? Is it coming from a universal source of energy? Is it coming from an intelligent source of energy? Or is it coming from an ego intellect that's got knowledge, ideas, something that's been built into my psyche, and something really that I've lost control on? I'm out of control on it. And once you admit it, and... The first thing that I did growing up and understanding it growing up was everybody was calling me stupid for going out with a grin on my face, for being happy in certain circumstances where nobody else, when everybody else was miserable. They all said, look at that stupid lad. And I thought you're saying, you know what, I'm stupid. Hallelujah, I'm stupid. And now there's two essays in Cutting Truth and How to Succeed Through the Art of Stupidity. Because we're all mm-hmm. stupid. If we're thinking about worry and anxiety, 
and we're not thinking about the joy of the moment, we're not being kind to other people, well, that's stupid. But we don't look at that, and no clever person, intellectual professor, will ever admit to their stupidity. But when they do, again, you get Eureka and Nirvana. Again, you're back to understanding your true self. And the true self, you know what? Now you recognize that stupidity, you can do something about it. Now you recognize it, you still don't mean to say you're not going to do stupid stuff, because we all do on a daily basis, no matter how clever we think we are. Everybody will, still. Even me, I do lots of stupid stuff still. But the fact is, I recognize it as that. And when I can recognize it as that, I say, how stupid is that? Wow, did I really do that? Or did I forget this? I meant to do that. I had the thought in my mind, and I went somewhere else, and I forgot to do it. So, yes, we're all going to do those. And those are the trivial things. But the more mm-hmm. serious things of this stupidity is living with the worry and the anxiety and the fears and all the stuff and the stress that's going on around us. Mm-hmm. We're suckered into the reality of physical when we could live the joy of the metaphysical. And on yeah. that thought, I'm going to you got a poem? give you a, I'm going to give you another poem. Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to read something to you that we all should live. And I put an event on in 2003 at the Brow Center for the Performing Arts called the Day of Truth, Wisdom and Love. At the end of it, I read this poem out. It's called The Prayer for Prosperity. And everybody remarked afterwards how they were lifted by it and how they could get it. And it actually is from Soul Up on Inspirational Poetry. And here we go. The Prayer of Prosperity. And this is for all of humanity. If all of humanity would say these words every day of their life, life would be fantastic for every human being. And for the planet too. Bless each fresh pursuit in the days, weeks, and years ahead. May I multiply and grow. Apply frequently and often a fruitful harvest of Spirit's guidance. Each day, may I discover new methods to true success. May I develop original ideas, compositions within the investments of time. May I struggle not, enjoy more, recover strength from any weakness, trade with love, network in delights, and consult in good cheer. May I recognize my true self as a vessel filled with soul's wisdom. With ever-increasing prospects for scoring successful goals. May I locate self-determination as I withdraw hate and fear from my memory banks. May I listen to unvarnished sound advice in silence. To ascertain physical philosophy blueprints that rally accomplishments. May my expenditure never exceed the income of my soul's account. 
May I be in no debt to anyone and no obligations to my ego. May I learn to the mastery of a loving spirit. May my compli con may my contemplations of faith's potency increase to bring agreeable levels of wellness. Sustain my health so I can help others find joy. Upgrade my mind to a higher reality of life. Michael, are your books also audio books? No, I've um I've not gone into that. It requires a lot of um different uh, audio equipment. It mm-hmm. requires a lot of things that if anybody wants to do it, I'm most happy to um partner with them. Right. And anybody that wants to take it on, you know, a few people have a Approach me, but um, no one's willing to do a partnership with that. So, you know, I've offered lots of partnerships with a lot of people over the past 20 years. It's all been ignored. The books have never been advertised, apart from shows like this, and they've never been marketed, the pure, because I believe that the books just speak for themselves. So, um, the potential is vast. And it's, it, it is. It's for the whole of humanity. So if anybody understands what I've been saying today and they want to take it to the next level, I'm happy to partnership with anybody. So uh, it's available. (laughs) You know why I ask particularly is that this is obviously a show that is going to embed every single thing we've said. And people can come back and listen to it over and over again if they choose because... I am everywhere there can be on social media. I know that you are in LinkedIn, and I know that you are on Twitter. I I take it to all of the levels that I can be involved in as somebody in media. And just listening to what you said and just breathing, I could imagine that your poetry would be a phenomenal audio book where people could just listen or perhaps you start your own podcast and we can talk about that at some point where you could just speak your truth because while it took a few minutes for you to read that imagine there are so many people listening that can so benefit by the words and wisdom and love and joy, and happiness, and all those words that you utilize throughout this show to enhance their life. Because, frankly, you just can't take it all in at one time. There's, there's, there's too much. And so for me, what I get most of all from any conversation I've ever had with you is a feeling. And because I know people that speak from that point, Marsha, how did it make you feel when Michael was reading that poem? I can tell you, it made me feel loved. It made me feel 
important, and it made me feel secure and inspired. And all of those lovely words that that make us feel whole. And I love the fact that you could say, hey, fear, I'm kicking you to the curb because you really don't serve a purpose in my life, and I'm just going to let you go. So just float away because I've got this bag of beads under my bed, and you don't know this about me. So ta-ta. And I just I just think you're a remarkable man, and I I don't know if there are other books inside you, but I would say that you share something, an, an essence about yourself that anyone that's listening would want to say, I need to listen to this show again because there was there were so many pearls of wisdom and I'm just so grateful that you've chosen to take some time with me today talking about these 50 enlightening slices of life, these essays that you've written about. And I will make sure that when I promote you, Michael, that people know how to find you and how to purchase your books and to get a sense more about who you are and what you stand for because truly you walk in truth. And it is just, it's been an honor. It's been an honor. The universe is speaking to me so loud right now that I need earplugs. And you are just part of that experience for me. And I am so very grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Marcia. And whatever you've just said about me is true about you too. Because you don't, there's no coincidence in life. And when you pick me out to come and talk, then this is a connection that the universe makes for us. We don't rehearse this. This is what life is. And when people come together in the truth and wisdom of what, who we are and the way you've understood it and have expressed it, because you have, just by what you've said, then the electricity of that does go back to the, re, to the listeners who are listening to your show. That's why for five and a half years you've been doing <laughs> something that's needed in the world today and you're doing it in your own unique style of way you do it. You were born to talk. And oh, you, that's the that isn't true. And the most, nearly everything that you're saying, I don't know what you say in your other shows, but everything you say today is very relevant to everybody that's living on Earth today. So I wish you very great success with this show and may it go to the heights. It should be a primetime show on uh, NBC <laughs> at 8 o'clock. Oh, you're so cute. Well, it's really funny because... I have sort of this new, you know, that what's it all about thing. And um, I have this new way of sort of thinking about myself. I had this conversation with somebody over the weekend, and I never really thought about it this way, but I'd like to close the show by saying this. She said to me, so what is your why, Marsha? And I thought, I don't, what do you mean, what is my why? What, what is it? And I said, making the world a better place one story at a time and that's what i'm doing and i guess i just never knew it in words so thank you for your kind words thank you for your time i'm going to cherish this show this five and a half year anniversary show and i would encourage all of you that have been listening to check out Michael, to go to his website. It will all be available to you. And continued happiness and joy in your life, Michael, because I'm sure we'll be speaking again. 
and um, thank you so much once again for joining me today. And with that, I wish you all the very best in life can offer. Thank you so much for joining me. Bye for now. Ah. <sighs>